Ceramics are everywhere in today's world, but who are the scientists and engineers who work with such materials? Now is your chance to meet them here on Ceramic Tech Chat. I'm Lisa McDonald, and this is Ceramic Tech Chat. During ACE's annual meeting at MSNT last month, students gathered to cheer on contestants in the annual ceramic mug drop contest. This contest challenges competitors to design ceramic mugs that can withstand drops from great heights. This contest is challenging due to the brittle nature of ceramics, which causes them to fracture and pawn an impact. What if, however, ceramics were not as brittle as we believe? What if, instead of fracturing, we could design ceramics that deform upon impact? We have this, I would call it, misconception that ceramics are brittle. That really depends on what temperatures are we talking about and what materials are we talking about. And also even the texture being either single crystal or polycrystal and including the environment and the lens scales. So for instance, we have several materials, single crystals, of course, that can even be plastic deformed at room temperature up to 10% without fracturing, for instance, in strontium titanite. And this actually is also very surprising when they were first found in the community. If we go back to check these papers, the title usually states that surprising or extraordinary or unexpected, something like that. That's Shufei Fong, junior group leader in the Non-Metallic Inorganic Materials Research Group, led by Professor Jürgen Rudel at the Technical University of Darmstadt in Germany. He explores the generation of dislocations in ceramic materials, which allows ceramics to demonstrate the surprising ability to plastically deform, as well as other unique properties. How does plastic deformation in ceramics differ from the conventionally explored deformation in metals? Also, we'll talk about initiatives Shufei and the Rudel Group are doing to spread the word about this exciting research field to the larger ceramics community. Usually people don't think of ceramics as having dislocations. That's usually a topic that's more explored in the metal realm. Until you took this position, ceramic dislocations is also a new topic for you. So what has your journey been like through material science that you ended up researching these dislocations? Mm, I did my PhD and also my bachelor in the same university, uh, Tsinghua University in Beijing, China. I started my PhD actually first in ceramics. Um, but structural ceramics. Back then, I was working on um, ceramic composites and ultra-high uh, temperature ceramics, and mainly for aerospace engineering. And then after my PhD, I immediately moved to Germany for my first postdoc in Max Planck Institute for uh, Iron Research in Dusseldorf, Germany. I actually changed my topic to nanomicromechanics, but with a focus on dislocations in metals. And the topic actually is hydrogen embrittlement. In 2018, I was already thinking about moving to the next stage for my research career. And then all of a sudden, I saw this advertisement that with this position in Darmstadt, Professor Rüde is advertising this new position called dislocations in oxides. 
And I thought, okay, I worked on ceramics. I worked on dislocations. This might be a perfect opportunity for me to combine these two and then to march into a new field. And that is how I just told myself, okay, why not go ahead and apply for it? And luckily I got the position in the end and things has flourished since then. How did you end up doing a PhD in structural ceramics? Ceramics is kind of a unique field. A lot of people don't always know about that right away, that they can pursue research in that area. Yeah, actually, my major in PhD was engineering mechanics or solid mechanics. So besides the ceramic part, I also worked on structural alloys, for example, nickel-based superloid. So mechanics was my core strength. So I really was not choosing the material specifically. It just happened to be <laughs> on these two major systems. A happy accident that then yes. showed up again later. So as you've been working on the ceramic dislocations, has your experience traveling through these different countries given you connections or partnerships to help spread the knowledge of ceramic dislocations? For sure. And here I would like to mention that one of my close collaborators, Professor Asutomo Nakamura, and currently he is in Osaka University. He used to be in Nagoya University in Japan. And before that, he was actually in the University of Tokyo. He really helped me a lot over the last three years, in particular, considering the corona situation. It was a little bit funny that after I joined this group for about one year and then the pandemic starts and everything went online and also we have limited access to the labs mm -hmm. but things still worked out quite nicely and this is particularly because of this strong network that i was able to establish based on darmstadt and then with japan and also with my previous research institute including Tsinghuan and max planck institute for iron research and the colleagues were very supportive. And since I'm working on dislocations, the abundant knowledge in metals. So I was always talking to my former colleagues and collaborators from the metal community to combine these techniques here. And in-house, we also have another professor, Carsten Duost. I really would like to mention the names because he's a nanomicromechanics expert working on metals. And I was able also to use his machines and setups to work on this topic, to transfer the knowledge and skill set from metals to ceramics. It really worked out. Yeah, It definitely takes a village when you're exploring new topics like this. And as we found with the knowledge of the metals, it really can help expand into these new areas that you never thought about before. Exactly. So what exactly does dislocations mean for people who aren't in the material science community? Right. So dislocations, we usually termed as the line defects or one-dimensional defects in material science. It's mainly studied in metals because dislocations are one of the main carriers for plastic deformation. That is why usually we can plastic deform a metal and foil or let's say a Coca-Cola can. But if we drop a ceramic plate on the floor, we most likely will break them because there is a lack of dislocation activities there. So how do dislocations in metals and ceramics differ from each other? The mechanisms that we're seeing between those two types of material classes. In order to make materials, creating solids to plastic deform, 
we definitely need a lot of dislocations in it. I would say there are three key factors that we need to look at for dislocations behavior. And that would be dislocation nucleation, dislocation multiplication, and dislocation mobility. So very often in ceramics, because of the conventional high temperature sintering, we do not have many dislocations to start with in compared to metals. So this is the first difference. That means if we wanted to plastic deform ceramic materials, we have to overcome the nucleation barrier, which very often is very high because of the strong ionic and covalent bonding. The second difference there is the mobility. So basically, we would like to move the dislocations easily if we wanted to have a good ductile ceramic materials, as in the case of our metals. But the case, again, is because of the strong bonding. Very often, we have very limited mobility in ceramic materials. Another interesting feature, I would say, is because of the ionic and covalent bonding, the dislocations in ceramic materials, they can carry charges in the dislocation cores. And this also makes what is huge difference between the dislocations in metals. And also it's because of this particular charged feature in the dislocation core, we have a space charge layer surrounding it. And because of these charged features, we actually can use it for electrofunctional properties. For instance, like superconductivity or electroconductivity, et cetera. That's super fascinating. Yeah. What scales is this dislocation occurring on? Because I know with metals, like you said, you could crush a can with a plastic deformation, but I'm assuming we can't crush a ceramic plate with the deformation. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, so far, I would say we were able even to deform a ceramic single crystal even up to millimeter size without breaking them. Even at room temperature, we're all talking about this at room temperature. So this is what we call the macro scale, so millimeter-sized sample. But of course, there is always a danger to accidentally induce cracks. And then because we know the fracture toughness of the ceramic material is so low, very often it's around one megapascal square meter or even up to 10. So once we have cracks, they easily propagate and break the whole sample. And that is what we try to avoid. That is why we can actually, let me put it this way, if we go to smaller scales, let's say micrometers or even tens of hundreds of nanometers, the chances of inducing these cracks would be much lower. And that is also why so far I mainly work on the nano micro scale. In the long run, I aim to bring this knowledge and to expand also the plastic zone size up to millimeter sized. But fortunately, even with these nanoscale, microscale sizes, we're able to get like the electronic effects and stuff that is useful for application, right? Yes, exactly. And for example, like NAMS system or MAMS system. And this is the perfect scale length that fits. But the reason I'm talking about this larger scale is because once we can deform the larger scale, we can still like slice some pieces out of it and for this electronic devices. That's a very nice point. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know sometimes we always discuss about making it bigger, making it larger, but a lot of the topics recently in electronics is how do we make things smaller? How do we make them lighter? Exactly. So we're actually already working on the scales that are perfect for next-gen electronics. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so when we talk about these different dislocations, a lot of the research that I read on ceramic dislocations are taking place in ceramic oxides. Is there any research on dislocations in the non-oxide ceramics? Yeah, sure. For instance, I can give you one example. That was a very exciting one recently published by the Japanese group. It's zinc sulfide. 
It's single crystal. And the paper was actually in science in 2018. They take a single piece of zinc sulfide and they found that if they turn the light off, they deform the crystal in complete darkness, the material can be plastic deformed even up to 46% plastic string without fracturing. But if you turn the light, regardless it is UV light or the D light, they immediately fracture after roughly 2% plastic string. And this is what we call the photoplasticity. And this is also a very fascinating phenomenon that occurs in ceramic materials. And that definitely has to do with the charge dislocation core behavior. So those charges are then very important to this behavior exactly. that we're seeing then. During all of your times studying ceramic dislocations, do you have any favorite stories from the lab of either just funny things that happened or serendipitous discoveries? Oh, that's that's a very interesting question. I do have some very interesting experiences in the lab. For example, I think back in uh, December 2019, that was roughly like eight months after I joined the group and I started working on this topic. Back then, I kept asking myself, how exactly can I avoid crack formation while only introduce plasticity, let's say dislocations, into ceramic materials? And one day in the lab, I was just checking all these indents I was trying to perform. And all of a sudden, I spotted one indent that shows this very nice slip traces without cracking. The other indents, they very often have either a very, very tiny crack, let's say hundreds of nanometer or micrometer. But this one, we have roughly 20 to 30 micrometer plastic zone without a crack. And I was very, very excited. And this is just by accident. Originally, we really tried to find this, but we never succeeded. Following that lead, I went back to check all the experimental conditions, the detailed lab notes. And I realized that there was probably a critical size effect there. Then I followed that lead. And later, we actually have one nice publication in JSERS, Journal of the American Ceramic Society, to particularly address this size effect, whether it is corresponding only to dislocation plasticity, or there might be a chance that crack could set in. And that paper actually has already, I think, more than 15 citations just after one year. I'm very happy to see that this work is so well received by the community so far. And again, I would like to say that is somehow by accident, but we were prepared because we were particularly looking for that. Sometimes it shows up when you're not expecting it. <laughs> yes, yes. Another interesting story maybe also. So since I mentioned I was mainly working on single crystal oxides because we want to eliminate the green boundary issue, because that is also one of the main differences I forgot to mention between ceramics and metals, particularly at room temperature. Ceramic materials do not have sufficient independent slip systems. That's why it's very difficult to transfer the knowledge we obtain it from single crystal to polycrystal because of the green boundary issue and also the restrictions of the dislocation transmitted from one grain to the other. Metals that happens very easily. So regarding this polycrystal deformation, we were just trying to do some testing. Also, I was doing this with my master student in the lab. And also using our indentation technique, but this time with a much, much larger indenter, with millimeter-sized indenter. It turned out to be 
working very nicely even on polycrystal oxide room temperature. We generate no cracks but have abundant slip traces on the surface. And that is a lead that my master's student, Mr. Orkoffer, who actually followed and finished a very nice piece of master's thesis. And we look forward to publish that results in JSIS. Out of all of the ceramics that you've had a chance to explore with, do you have a favorite ceramic system yet? My favorite currently is the perovskite oxide strontium titanite. The ductility of strontium titanite, even at room temperature, that was already found 21 years ago, actually. And the paper was first appeared in 2001, also in JSERS. For me, I like working with this material is because we have basically a complete set of tools, experimental tools from deformation to characterization, and also later, particularly for the functional properties evaluation. This really helps us to do these tests, particularly to get the proof of concept in a very efficient manner. So that is why I like working with this material a lot. But of course, we are now able to already be able to extend the experimental techniques beyond strontium titanite to many other oxides and also includes sulfides, as I mentioned at the beginning, and also fluorides. Currently, I have roughly more than 10 materials that we can deform at room temperature very nicely. I think this would be something I really would like to share with the community as soon as possible, because currently we are also working on this, I call it database for building in dislocations at room temperature. So I certainly hope that with this knowledge and also new findings, we can somehow change people's view towards the misconception of ceramics are brittle. Yeah, we, we have to be careful now with the statement, right? <laughs> <laughs> the American Ceramic Society's Engineering Ceramics Division focuses on stimulating interest in the development and utilization of technologies based on ceramic materials. This division organizes the annual International Conference and Expo on Advanced Ceramics and Composites in Daytona Beach, Florida. Learn more about this division at www.ceramics.org ECD. So you recently started a lecture, right, on ceramic dislocations? Yes, exactly, together with my colleagues. What is the structure of that lecture and how did it come to be? It was first established last summer. It already evolved quite nicely this summer. So this is the master course. It includes 14 to 15 teaching units, weeks of teaching. Currently, we cover the basics of dislocations, and then we march into the material systems and also characterization of dislocations, and then dislocation-based mechanics including room temperature and a high temperature. And at the end, we have dislocation-based functional properties. I would call it a very systematic and already advanced module for teaching. And particularly, I would like to mention also my colleagues like Dr. Lukas Potts, a former PhD student in this group, and also Dr. Tiv Frömling. And we together developed this course with the support by Professor Rüde and also the department, because this is more like an experimental experience. I'm myself is an experimentalist, 
And the course itself also has the experimental feature, I would call it, because we were originally thinking about, right, this field is going to rise. I still strongly believe that. And we need younger people, particularly starting from the master study program, to get them into the labs and work with us. That was one of the original intentions why we want to establish this course to attract more people, younger people, to work on this topic together with us. It really worked out very well. Yeah. So you've had good feedback from the students then? Yes, I can even be very proud to see I have three students recruited from the lectures and they are doing fantastic jobs now. Well, then it worked out very well then if you got three students to join you. Yes, and all of them will be doing PhD at a later stage. That's wonderful. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I know also in October, you were able to do outreach at our annual meeting, MSNT. You were able to help organize a symposium all about dislocations in ceramics. And so how did that come about organizing and gathering people to present at that? Actually, before MSNT this year, at EMA 21, we already organized one symposium dislocations in ceramics together with my colleagues, as I mentioned. But because of the pandemic back then, it was completely online. Uh, but anyhow, it worked out quite nicely, considering that this is still at the very early stage of this topic. Mm-hmm. And we were able to get, I think for the EMA 21, we have roughly eight talks in a session and on this topic. Since the feedback was very positive and we were thinking about, okay, we should move forward and set up another symposium at a different conference. And then we aimed at MSNT. I still have to admit that because of the traveling restrictions and also some personal reasons for the speakers, this symposium, we have on site only four lectures. But I was told that Again, I myself was not able to travel because of the visa issue. Um, but anyhow, one of my students was representing me there. And the feedback from him was quite positive, I would say. The audience is there. They were able to ask many questions, very involved questions, and to have very extensive discussions even. So this does not discourage me to further team up with my colleagues for setting up more symposium on this topic. For example, next year in 2023 in Dresden in Germany, for the German Physics Society, we are already trying to set up another session, dislocations in ceramics. And this time, we definitely hope that we will be able to get more speakers and contributions. It's wonderful that you're having the opportunities to host these symposiums at different conferences. So different audiences are exposed to this topic and might hopefully join in and maybe collaborate with you in the future. Exactly. Yeah. It was also a great opportunity. For example, at EMA 21, I was able to get to know two potential collaborators back then, and now we are already collaborating. And this time at MSNT, based on the feedback from my student, I already see that there is another potential candidate that we would like to team up with from the simulation field that we can definitely work together. That's really exciting. Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> As we've talked about, two of those meetings, the MSNT and ENA, they're actually ACES coordinated meetings with the American Ceramic Society. So, how did you come to become a member of the American Ceramic Society? And what have you found most beneficial being a member with us? Yes, with 
my membership at Acers actually started from EMA. I still remember the date. It's January the 3rd, 2021. Yeah, I tend to memorize this type of dates because for these important days, I already have them in my mind. It was a very, very interesting experience for me and also very helpful experience for me because once I became a member of it, I started receiving many useful information from Acers, for instance, like the bulletin articles and also the Ceramtech Today and etc. Of course, including many other glass and ceramics industry informations that really helped me to expand the, I would call it my view towards ceramics because before that I was mainly like in the metal community and also very focused on this dislocation topic itself. But then I was able to learn there are a vast of opportunities out there. And also through this platform, I was able to get in touch with many other ACERS members because particularly for these bulletin issues, like each month we get, and when I go through them, I pay attention to specifically what people are working on which topic, if I am something interesting, I very often just, again, step ahead and be active and just contact the people there. And it turned out to be that very, very often I get very responsive replies and that even further enhances my confidence, right? <laughs> it's like a very good cycle there. And besides that, I would also like to say that I also benefit from this type of exposure. For instance, even later get my own work highlighted by ACERS. That is also the reason why I have already involved my students, including master and PhD students. That's six students in total. Also get them registered for become a member of ACERS. And the feedback from them is basically the same. It's very positive. And of course, I would like still to continue this and I'm going to have this lecture, Mechanical Properties of Ceramics, in this winter semester. And that's exactly what I'm going to promote to the students in class as well. Start the membership with ACERS. <laughs> Definitely. Dislocations in ceramics is not necessarily a new topic. However, advances in state-of-the-art characterization technologies and new perspectives in dislocation-based functionalities opens the door to move this field forward much, much faster. I'm Lisa McDonald, and this is Ceramic Tech Chat. Visit our website at ceramics.org for this episode's show notes and to learn more about Xu Fei Fong and his research. Ceramic Tech Chat is produced by Lisa McDonald and copyrighted by the American Ceramic Society. Until next time, I'm Lisa McDonald and thank you for joining us.